Uh, hey, well, good morning. You may have uh, picked up from uh, Steve's reading today that this is not really going to be a feel-good message. This is not even a find-your-happy-place message. Sometimes you need a warning to get you to your happy place. And so today is that kind of uh, message. Now, years ago, I read a book by a teacher by the name of John Ortberg. The name of the book uh, was kind of funny. It, it, the title was, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. The premise of the book was simply this. When it comes to people, there's no such thing as normal. Every one of us are tainted by sin. Each and every one of us are fundamentally flawed. And I want to help you think about this. So uh, in most stores, you find a section of merchandise that's available at greatly reduced prices. The giveaway in this section is the tag, right? Uh, so uh, you, you pull out the tag and... Um, you know, we usually read something like as is or maybe uh, slightly irregular or cosmetic damage. Well, whatever words may be on the tag, the store is issuing fair warning, right? They're saying, look, you've arrived at the department of something's gone wrong here. So if you're looking for perfection, don't walk down this aisle, right? You're going to find a flaw here, a stain that won't come out, maybe a zipper that won't zip, a zip, a dent or a scratch, a button that won't button. Well, you get the idea, right? So they say this, we're not going to tell you, you know, where the flaw is or what it is. We're going to make you look for it. But one day you're going to find that flaw. And when you do, don't come whining to us, right? So, uh, because there's kind of a fundamental rule when you're in this section of merchandise at a local store, right? The, the rule is no returns, no refunds, and no exchanges. You have to take this item as is, and there are no exceptions to that rule. Well, friends, when it comes to human beings, you've come to the as-is corner of the universe. You really have. Each of us are slightly irregular. All of us are flawed and broken and if you and I came with a tag that tag might have words like deceiver or a cruel tongue or a passive spirit or an anger problem or insecurity or lust or anger or pride. Uh, so when you read a story online that's titled something like this, this is a real deal, totally normal women who stalk their ex-boyfriends. And we read stuff like that, right? And what we should remind ourselves is this. First of all, stalking an ex is neither healthy nor normal, not much less totally normal, Right? Um, yeah, and, and what do the neighbors always say anytime there's some sort of a shooting or mass killing and they go to interview the neighbors, what do they always say about the person who committed the crime? They were quiet, they were sweet, they were totally what? Yeah, they seem so normal. Friends, the reality is when it comes to normal and people, there's no such thing. We're all flawed, every single one of us. And there's only one fix for that. It's the gospel. It's the good news of our Jesus, his death, his burial, 
his resurrection and the power that that brings, that brings into our lives the power of change and the freedom of forgiveness from sin. Only that message, nothing else, no one else can give that to us. And this is why when Paul begins this message and it begins to unfold, he's going to say, listen, essentially he's going to say this, I don't want you to be surprised. People are going to get worse before they get better. I don't care what laws you pass. I don't care what political party is at the helm. People are going to get worse before they get better. Here's how he begins. But know this, hard times will come in the last days because people, now I want to stop there, Notice that he doesn't say that hard times will come from global warming or that hard times will come from natural disasters or even that hard times will come from a bad economy. Now certainly all of those things are going to continue to happen, but these hard times aren't going to come because of any of those things. These hard times are going to, become, are going to come to be difficult because of people. Because of the way that people behave And because of the attitudes that people will have toward one another and themselves, that's what's going to bring these hard times on because of the way that they want to relate to other people. And then he goes on to say this, because people will be... So in these first five verses, he's going to talk to us about who these folks are. And then in verses 6 through 9, he's going to talk to us about what they do. And he's going to walk through 19 characteristics here. And we'll just read through those. He says, people, first of all, are going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power, avoid these people. Now, this message, friends, is a case study for who and what we should never want to see when we look at ourselves in the mirror. God forbid that we would be a church like this. And Paul is going to remind us of something very important here. I need to, you need to know this. It's easy when you read through this list to think that Paul is talking about what it's going to be like out there in the world. That's not the people that he's describing. He's describing people who go to church. He's describing people who say things like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And then they go and live their lives completely differently. And I would just ask you to surmise this. If it's this bad, if in, if in the end times it's going to be this bad in the church, what's it going to look like out there in the world? How bad is it going to be out there? And we know that he's talking about people in the church because of verses 4 and 5. He says, they hold to a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And then he's going to talk to us about their behavior within the church. So we know he's talking about people within the church. 
And so uh, now normally when I do a message, I do the message and then I do application at the end. Today, I'm going to do some of the application at the beginning. And that's this, because it's really important to understand this. Because So when Paul says, avoid these people, what a lot of us revert to is we say, yeah, you know, the guy I work with, the unsaved guy, I don't like his jokes, I don't like his mouth, I don't like his habits, I don't like his attitudes, so I'm going to avoid that guy. Listen, that is not what God is asking you to do here. In fact, listen to this, deterioration is never, ever a reason for disengagement for Christians, ever. What, what the deterioration of our culture, Christians have to engage that. That's what our all-in journey is about, right? We're going out there and we're engaging with our culture because that's what we're called to do. What he's saying is, hey, if there's a person who claims to be a Christian in your church, but they're acting like this, I want you to avoid those people. And I can prove this to you because the church at Corinth had a very similar problem. Well, first, let me just uh, talk you through the words of Jesus. In other words, why should we engage with culture? Why should we be involved in a culture that's deteriorating and going nowhere fast? Well, because Jesus told us to. Jesus commanded us to. Look what he said. He said in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste... How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, the point of this teaching is this. Jesus is saying, look, you have to engage with your culture and you have to be different. You have to look different than your culture. So that's not isolation. We're still engaging. He's saying you have to engage with your culture, but you have to look different than your culture when you do it. You have to bring my light into, into any and every interaction. I've called you the salt of the earth. Now, it's so fascinating to me. The primary purpose of salt in Jesus' day wasn't just to make food taste better. Remember, there were no refrigerators, there was no electricity, there was no way to store food and keep it from decaying or rotting. And then in stepped salt, and it was a game changer. Because they could rub certain meats with salt, and those meats would stay good for much longer periods of time. So the primary uh, mission of salt was to delay rot and to delay decay in food so when Jesus says we're salt he's saying look your mission is to delay the rot, the, the rot and the decay of our culture that's what it means to be salt and then secondly he says you're light and you don't take a light and hide that under a basket. No, you, you put it up high for everybody to see. That's the way I want you to behave. I want you to be so different than everybody else that when they look at your life, they see their heavenly Father glorified. Now, it's so fascinating. Remember that in this day, light was so important as well. You know, you didn't have electricity. You didn't have electric companies. You didn't have light bulbs. Light was precious. And every time somebody turned on a light, they chased back the darkness, right? Because light and darkness can only coexist in the shadows. 
Where there is light, there is no darkness. And so by calling us light, Jesus is saying, look, you're called to chase back the darkness of the culture that you belong to. And you don't do that by alienating and isolating. You do that by building bridges and meeting needs. This is so important to understand. So when Paul says avoid these people, he's not saying avoid the guy at work whose attitude you don't like and find disrespectful. Listen, if a blind person steps on your foot, do you get mad at the blind person? No, they're blind. Friends, what, what, what your co-workers at work need is a relationship with Jesus. And if you're not there to help move them in that direction, they may never come to know him. And it's vitally important that they do. And that is the only thing that's going to change their behavior. The only thing that's going to do that is the good news of Jesus. So here's what I'm saying, that the world's condition should fuel your and my, our compassion. I would just ask this question, where is the mercy and grace that you and I received when we're interacting with other people? So here's what I'm referring to. I'm referring to the angry tone that I'm often exposed to on social media that some Christians have. Some Christians are just, you know, because they disagree, they find somebody they have a disagreement with, they, uh, you know, castigate them and throw them under the bus in the name of truth. Friends, Christians have a responsibility to build bridges, not, not erect walls with other people. The angry tone that some Christians show on social media just reflects righteous indignation. It reflects judgment. And the world's condition needs to fuel our compassion, not our judgment. So I mentioned earlier that Paul's going to walk through a list of 19 characteristics that are going to be true of people inside, people who go to church on Sunday. And I want to walk through those because, hey, if those people could have some of these uh, issues, maybe it's true that you and I may have some of these issues as well, especially if you believe that the church um, is living in the end times right now. So we're just going to walk through these 19 characteristics. I'm going to do it pretty quickly. I'm not going to go into great depth because you don't want to be here all day uh, as entertaining as this message probably is, right? So the first thing he's going to say is this. He's going to say, look, these people are going to be lovers of self, not God. Lovers of self. In other words, uh, these people are going to be narcissistic. Pleasing themselves is going to be the major focus of their life. In fact, this is the core, really as you walk through all of this, this is the core problem with the church in the end times. That people will love themselves more than they will love Jesus or more than they will love God. And then he says lovers, they will be lovers of money. So he's saying, look, more and more people are going to be addicted to the power of materialism. They will love their things and their stuff more than they love people or that they love God. In fact, uh, 
Paul talks about this in the earlier Timothy, in 1 Timothy, about this love of money. And we'll talk even more about this in November, but look what he says in 1 Timothy 6.10. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now notice Paul doesn't say money is evil. Money's just a thing. It's just a tool. So it can be used for good, it can be used for bad, but it all depends on how you spend or use your money, right? But he says that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. He says, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith. Now, this is so interesting to me, this, this word wandered away from the faith. It could even mean meandered away. In other words, they didn't reject, outright reject Jesus, at least not in a day. They just got so caught up in chasing after money that they quit chasing after Jesus. And I mean, I think this could be a temptation in our culture, don't you? I mean, because we're promised. Money's kind of one of those things that promises many of the same things that God does, right? Money promises security. Money promises freedom. Money promises some of the things that Paul's talking about here. It promises us pleasure. It promises us comfort. It promises us security. But at the end of the day, friends, materialism writes checks it can't cash. It just can't. So he says people are going to love money. He says they're going to be proud. In other words, they will decide good and evil for themselves. They will try to decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong. And like Adam and Eve, they will not listen to God. He says they'll be arrogant. Now, arrogance is the outward manifestation of pride. So here's the idea. Well, you're less than me, so you can't be my friend. You're not useful to me, kind of you're below my social status, so I refuse to be friends with you. It's this idea that, well, if you're not useful to me, if I'm not benefiting from my relationship with you, I'm just going to cast you aside. And then he goes on, they're going to be abusive. This word literally means to blaspheme. This is a total disregard for the well-being of others. This is a willingness on my part or your part to exploit other people for our own selfish gain. And then he says that this generation will be disobedient to their parents. This is just an outright disregard for the family. This is a rejection of parental authority, a disrespect for the rights of parents, and a movement towards the rights of children away from their parents. They'll just be disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful. He's saying that people, as they get more and more, they're going to become more and more entitled. And they're going to say things like, I deserve this. And when people believe that they deserve all the good things that come into their lives, they shove gratitude off to the side. And they are ungrateful. He says they're going to be unholy. In other words, purity before God will become unimportant to them. All that will matter to them is self-fulfillment. There will be no shame, no sense of accountability to God. They'll be heartless. I mean, is this a church any of you would want to go to? They'll be cold and uncaring, unable to empathize with others because they'll think only of their own needs, only of their own wants, only of their own desires. And then he uses an interesting word. He says that they'll be irreconcilable. This is an unwillingness to forgive. 
This is holding on to grudges and bitterness. This is a lack of forgiveness with, while we stand pridefully by. Hey, they deserve everything they have coming to them because of how they treated me. There'll be a boldness to that in that refusal to forgive. Someone who's just unappeasable. They can't be appeased. They can't be reconciled to others because they refuse to be reconciled to others. And we're going to come back to that one in a little bit. Slanderous. Do you know that we sanitize slander in our culture? Slander is making false statements about someone else that damages their reputation. Now, I'm not on social media for, for partly this reason, but from what I can tell, this is what happens, this is a daily occurrence on social media. Listen, friends, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I have news for you. God sees your Facebook. God knows what's on your Facebook, okay? So when you use Facebook to bully somebody else or to cow somebody else, or when you use Facebook to throw somebody else under the bus just because they had the audacity to disagree with you, that's a problem. It matters to God how you and I treat other people. So we have to be willing to let our social media accounts do that. Listen, I say this all the time. One of the key things that the church needs to, to learn how to do is to love people that they disagree with. This is why marriage is so hard. Because you're, you're trying to love somebody day in and day out where, when you don't often see eye to eye. You don't have the same perspectives. It's why marriage is so hard. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Listen, Christians have to get good at loving people that they disagree with. This is the key to the Christian life, slanderous. And he says they're going to be without self-control. They'll have no self-restraint. The idea is this, I can do whatever I want. I don't care what anybody else thinks. What I want to do is all that matters regardless of the consequences that it has for my family, my children, or my wife. They'll be brutal. This is, the idea here is vicious, animalistic behavior. So what this really implies is that these people are going to have a willingness to hurt someone else if it gets them what they want. So they could be willing to hurt them physically, they could be willing to hurt them mentally, or even spiritually. In fact, in verses 6 through 9, that's exactly what these people are doing. They're hurting the people at the church of Ephesus spiritually by leading them astray, leading them away from the truth, the simple truth of the gospel, and into the latest fad and the newest shiny thing. And then he goes on to say they're going to be uh, they're going to be, they're not going to love the good. In other words, these people are going to have no moral compass. Their morality is going to be cast aside in favor of what feels good and what's comfortable or pleasurable. So nothing is wrong anymore. Nothing will be right anymore. All that's going to matter to people is fulfillment and pleasure. And then he says they're going to be treacherous. In other words, disposed toward betrayal. In other words, you're going to have to watch your back around these people. 
Because they're going to talk kind to your face and then they're going to stab you in the back and deal treacherously with you when you're not around. They're going to be reckless. The idea here is impulsive behavior, like going out of bounds, ignoring the boundaries in order to get what they want. They are unrestrained. Not only can I do whatever it is I want to do, I can say whatever it is I want to say. They'll be swollen with conceit. This is exaggerated self-importance. So here's the idea, like I'm special, like nobody else here is like me. Everybody here is here for me. And if you're not serving me or making my life better, then you're out. I have no room for you. I have no time for you. Swollen with conceit. They're going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So pleasure becomes the new God that people have to serve. They're going to they're going to serve that God over and over and over again. They're going to begin to serve pleasure rather than God. And make no mistake, friends, pleasure is one of the most powerful idols of our day. And I'll tell you why. Cuz we have so many entertainment options at our friend at our fingertips. And so we can almost go from one pleasurable experience to the next, to the next, to the next. And pretty soon you get so caught up in wanting to be entertained or wanting to be comfortable or wanting a pleasurable experience that we're no longer in the moment and our eyes are no longer fixed on Jesus. This is how pleasure works. And then he goes on to say, they're going to have the appearance of godliness, but they're going to deny its power. In other words, these people are going to be all style and no substance. They're going to be super shallow with no depth. They're going to talk about change without any ability or power to bring about that change. They're going to be looking for the latest new fad. They're going to be chasing after the the newest shiny gadget. And they're not going to ask the question, is it true? They're going to ask the question, does it work for me? And they're going to care more about that question than, is it true? In other words, they're going to discard, is it true, for, well, does it work for me? Because if it works for me, then that's the direction, you know, I'm going to go. And then so Paul says, look, I want you to avoid people like that. I want you to avoid people in the church that are all style and no substance. I want you to avoid people in the church that say one thing and do another. You don't want to catch that disease, you know. So, but, but be, let's be clear, he's not talking about ignoring people in culture that act that way. And I want to prove it. I want to, uh, so Corinth had a similar problem. Go figure. Because no church is perfect, right? So in the church at Corinth, people were saying one thing and doing another. And so Paul calls that out. And I want you to, I want to just kind of walk through this with you. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or greedy people in this world or swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. So he's not saying isolate from the guy at work you don't like. 
Here's what he's saying. But actually, I wrote you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister and is sexually immoral. Just to be clear, sexual immorality would be anything outside the bounds of marriage. That would be premarital sex. It would be extramarital sex. It would be pornography. Any of that would be sexual immorality. Or greedy an idolater or who is verbally abusive, a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such a person. Don't share a meal with them. And then this is so interesting to me. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? He says, don't you you judge those who are on the inside? God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. So again, he's saying, look, don't associate with somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus but isn't living that. He's saying, by all means, engage with your culture. By all means, build a relationship with your coworker. Just don't hang out with people who say one thing and do another. Don't do that. And then he goes on and uh, he begins to talk about what these people do right so we've talked about what they are these 19 characteristics now he's going to talk about what they do let's read through those verses six through nine for among them are those who worm their way into households so you know what he's saying he's saying look these people are seductive they recruit and they deceive gullible women overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions now this is kind of a tough phrase in the Greek. What, as I've wrestled with it this week and read a lot of different commentators and wrestled with the original language myself, I think here's what he's getting at. So in that culture, if a woman separated from her husband, that woman was vulnerable. Um, she, especially if she had children. She had no means to provide for herself. I mean, it's hard enough today when women do have the means, right? But it was far harder then. So she was vulnerable, and because she was vulnerable, he's saying these people would worm their way into these households where women are trying to raise children, and they're going to promise to meet their needs. They're going to promise, and these women are going to be gullible. They're going to believe that, but they're really worming their way in for selfish gain. They're they're in it for themselves. They're not in it to really help this uh, weak and dependent woman. They're in it to build their resume. And he says... That's what you want to watch out for. And he says that these false teachers are always learning and never able to, they're not open to the truth. In other words, they're always looking for shortcuts for the next shiny thing, the latest fad or the deepest understanding. And they want to learn what's going to make their life easier, but they're not going to be open to the truth of God. In other words, they're only going to seek that which they think is going to make their lives better. Again, it goes back to the question. They're going to quit asking, is it true? And they're only going to be concerned with, well, does it work for me? So they're not going to want to submit to God's law, but only to their own cravings and desires. And then this is so interesting. He mentions two names. And neither of these names is actually in the Bible other than here. But here's what's so fascinating about these two names, Janus and Jambri. They uh, actually, the only time you hear their names is Jewish tradition. And here's what Jewish tradition tells us. Anybody remember the story of the Exodus 
when Moses approaches Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron, and Aaron throws down his staff to show an act of God, and the staff turns into a snake. You remember that story? Well, what do the magicians do of Pharaoh? They try to counterfeit that exact same miracle, right? Well, Jewish legend says that the two people that were trying to oppose Moses, their names were Janus and Jambre. They were these magicians who were trying to counterfeit the work of God. But what happened in the story? What did the snakes they create? What did the snake that uh, Moses created, what did it do to the other two snakes? Yeah, it ate them. Right to prove that they were counterfeits. And so that's what Paul is getting here. He's saying, look, they're not going to make further progress because their foolishness is going to be clear to all as was the foolishness of Jonas and Jambres. In other words, don't try to, don't try to call, you know, don't try to call on the power of God when you don't know the power of God. That's what these guys were guilty of trying to do. They were frauds. They were counterfeits. They weren't the real thing. And so listen, here's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy, I don't want you to be surprised at the disintegration of our culture. People are going to get worse before they get better. And if they don't have Jesus, man, it's just like hopeless. They're going to get so wrapped up in themselves, they're going to spiral further and further down, and they're going to spiral further and further away from God, and many of those people will even go to church. And they'll say all the right things. So, so I have to ask two questions. First question, is Jesus your first love? Is Jesus your first love? The core problem of the church in the end times is going to be that they're going to love themselves. They're going to love pleasure. They're going to love money. They're going to love comfort more than they love Jesus. So how are you doing on that? Are you doing everything in your power to grow your love for Jesus? And there's probably a lot of us here, listen, I drift in and out of this. I'm guilty of this. You know, you have to ask yourself, look, am, am, what am I chasing after? Is it Jesus or is it something else? And sometimes, you know, I can get pretty comfortable with, like pleasure, we all like pleasure, right? Pleasure is nice. It's comfortable. But sometimes we have to be pushed out of our comfort zone and away from pleasure because those things only make us soft. And, and, and it just causes us to keep spiraling down and to care less and less and less about other people and more and more and more about ourselves. And then the second question is this. Listen, we, so this was about a church in, in decline right? The church in the end times. So this is a call more than anything else to invest in your church, to serve in your church, to tell a different story than the story that's being told here. And we have that opportunity because we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have our Savior before us. We have the Word of God open in our midst. 
And because we have all of these three things, it doesn't have to be this way. We can tell a better story than that. And we need to. Our children need us to. Our families need us to. Our grandchildren need us to. Friends, it's not about you anymore. It's not just about you. It's, there is su- such a bigger story at work here than just yours and my little tiny stories. Now, I want to say a couple things. Earlier, I noted that uh, many of the people in the in times are going to be what Paul called irreconcilable. In other words, they're going to not only are they going to refuse to forgive, they're going to be proud of the fact that they don't forgive others. They're going to glory in that. They're going to ruminate in that. And he's just saying, "Look, you can't be that way." Here's what I want to point out. That many of us, or maybe there's some of us here in the room, and I would applaud you if you're one of them. Maybe you have some church hurt in your past. And listen, I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to be dismissive of that. That's a real thing. I'm a pastor, so believe me, I have some church hurt. I get it. But using church hurt to disengage from the church makes you irreconcilable. It makes you like the people on this list. It makes you like these counterfeiters. Some of you are watching online, and maybe the whole reason that you're watching online is because you've had some church hurt, and it's just messy to come back. Listen, I'm so grateful that you're watching online. I am. I don't want to be dismissive of that or minimize that. But listen, it's time to get your hand. People are messy. This is Paul's whole point here this morning, right? People are messy. And if we become a people that aren't willing to get our hands dirty and wade into the mess, then we're only serving ourselves. We're only thinking of ourselves. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be part of a church like that. You don't want to be. Nobody wants to be part of a church like that. So let's not settle. Let's make for a better church where we're actively investing and ministering, connected within that church to tell not a story of isolation and factions but to tell a story of community and oneness and making a difference in the hearts and minds and lives of our community that's our calling it's what we have to be about so here's what I want to do maybe you're here this morning and as I asked you that first question is Jesus your first love is he your primary passion maybe you'd honestly have to go No, he's just not. Then here's what you need to do. Then start to pray about that. Ask God. Say, God, I'm not there, but I'm willing to be. I want to be there. Will you begin to place a love in my heart for your son Jesus? Will you begin to awaken me to all the blessings that Jesus brings into my life every single day? Just pray that prayer. It starts there. But you have to admit, you have to start with what's true. You have to start with what's real about you. And so hiding behind a facade or pretending that you're putting Jesus first, but you're just going to go on with the charade. 
That is just not, I mean, again, that just aligns you with the people Paul's just talked about. We don't want to do that. We don't want to go there. We don't want to be those people. We want to be better. We want to be like Jesus. Amen? Amen. So let me pray for you and um, for us. Lord Jesus, you've called us to be salt. You've called us to preserve the rot and the decay of our culture. You've called us to be light. You've called us to push back the darkness of human depravity and to be and live different. God, would you give us strength for that? Would you give us passion for that? God, some of us are here and we've been chasing stuff so long that, you know, we've misplaced our affection for Jesus. God, would you give us that back? Would you help us to repent of that? To call that what it is, sinful, dark, And would you enable us to turn back to that Jesus, to confess that to him, and to receive his affection and love? God, I'm convinced that the the sin of so many of us in the room isn't that we don't love Jesus enough. It's that we don't realize how much Jesus loves us. And so we love him. We love you, Lord Jesus, so little because we... We just don't see how vastly and how differently you really love us. So if you need to overwhelm some people here this morning with your love, would you do that? And God, I pray for these men and women as they go out into the world that they would be light, that they indeed would chase back the darkness of human depravity, that they would bring a light into every room, your light, Lord Jesus, the light that you've placed within each of us by your promised Holy Spirit, thank you that you, you've not called us to do this on our own or by ourselves. You've given us Holy Spirit power so that we never will have to deny the power of the gospel, the power that's found in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Jesus. So we give you thanks and praise for that, and we do that in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. So I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a benediction that you may have to think about for a minute. But it just flows right out of what we said today. So now may you take yourself far less seriously this week and our God far more seriously. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week.